Well, I think all of us would have to admit that it's been a tough week. Um, just the pendulum of emotion, of uh, sadness and tears and sorrow, and the other swing of times when uh, we were able to laugh this week and celebrate in the great hope that Steve is in the presence of the Lord. Um, I don't know if you felt that, but I have been feeling that all week long of just times where I, I well up with tears and other times where I bust up laughing uh, and in remembrance of, of Steve. Um, so this week I was going through some uh, different things and I was remembering all that uh, Steve and I have been able to share in over 30 years of a friendship. I was thinking through some of those things. I can't even share some of those things today. Um, and I, uh, I thought of this. You probably can't see it all that well. But as I was looking through some things, I ran across this um, statement that Steve made right here. And after I read it, I thought, that, that's Steve. That's his heart. That's his purpose. That's his life. That's, that's everything to him. Uh, it was hard for Steve to separate family and ministry. It was all one and the same. Um, and this statement that he makes, again, just resonates his, his heart and his love for people. And um, great, great celebration, but great sorrow. If you're able to see God's plan of redemption throughout the scriptures, then let me encourage you to teach others eagerly. Teach your children Teach the person you are mentoring. Teach those around you who are far from Jesus through sharing your story with them in your conversations. Steve definitely shared Jesus in his conversations. And I was just gripped by this statement because this is a challenge for all of us, all of us here at Mission View, that we would not just sit, but that we have a voice and so uh, we took the liberty uh, at Maranatha this week to just uh, cut up some of these and make them available. They're up front here, and you're welcome to come up afterwards and, and grab one and put it someplace. And just, just remember the impact that Steve had for the gospel, but the impact that we are to have for the gospel as well. I was so encouraged by what Lee had posted uh, shortly after Steve had passed away. Uh, love, love the verse in Psalm 117, verses 14 and 16. David writes here, but you could almost in many ways say that Steve said this. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That, that was Steve. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am truly your servant. We know in Scripture that there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to laugh and a time to cry. Even the book of James in James chapter 4 tells all of us that our life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's just a here for such a short time. But what we do with that life, will it honor and glorify the Lord? We're not promised. We're not promised tomorrow. Heck, we're not even promised all of today. And so I get it and you get it when we cry and we mourn and we feel sorrow over the passing of Steve. A, a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend, a brother, a grandfather, um, I, I, I'm trying to, an uncle, 
all of those things that he was to so many of us. He was an outlet that we could go to. And yet, there's great celebration too that you'll hear tonight if you come at six o'clock of Steve's life and the impact that he made and is still making in the lives of people. Um, this is a picture that has been on the internet for a while now. Um, I love it. It's called The First Day of Heaven. Um, and it's a picture of just uh, this girl embracing Jesus. And I've been looking at it all week long, uh, thinking about Steve and him coming into the presence of the Lord and just wrapping his arms around the Lord and uh, rejoicing. And Josh, thanks. Just a Incredible testimony of your dad. Um, and uh, so thankful for that. So, someone called me this week and they said, well, what do you think Steve's doing right now? I said, knowing Steve, <laughs> he can be doing just about anything. I said, but I can, I can imagine. We take our personalities with us, okay? And so Steve, I'm sure, is hugging on people and laughing and, and seeing people that went before him and seeing people that he only read about right here in his word. And so just an incredible time. So the question that we ask is, what do we do now? We were sitting back here this morning and I said, for those of us that don't have Christ in our life, there's a darkness and there's an emptiness when death comes. And yet those of us that have received Christ and those of us that have surrendered and yielded our lives to Christ, there is a hope beyond the grave that all of us can smile and say, one day I will see Jesus and I will see Steve and I will see many others that put their trust in Christ. So we remember and we cry and we laugh and we remember and we make sure that we tell his story and we tell his story you understand we tell his story but we also tell his story and I truly believe for Steve he would want us to tell the story that he always was telling and that is of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would never forget that 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 this ministry and this life does not hang on one person it hangs on all of us to be able to share the great story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we rally together and uh, we hug one another and we're reminded that those of us that are in Christ um, will one day see Steve and we'll be with him um, together. So I would ask that you would surround the family, but don't suffocate them. Uh, there will be times when you will need them and there will be times when they will just need some space. But I think all of us would have to say this morning, just raise your hand if you knew Steve. Yeah. Steve was a living memorial. He was a testimony of what God can do in the life of an individual. Steve is a living memorial of the faithfulness and the mighty hand of God that he is able to take someone who at one time was dead in their trespasses and sin and revive them and renew them and restore them so that they would be a great work and a vessel for the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that I know Steve taught us and we should be teaching each other, it is that every day counts. 
that when you get up in the morning and you shuffle to the bathroom and you look in the mirror, that you would do something that day that you know that will matter for eternity, that our life counts. And Steve took advantage of that every single day. And that's a great challenge for us. I waste my life away. I do things and I look back and I go, that had no bearing on eternity whatsoever. And yet, don't waste your life away. Use it to honor and glorify God. Tell the story worth listening and learning from. And, and I heard it this morning. I've heard it throughout this week. And that is this. People saying, Steve will be missed. And when you think about it, isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to be missed? Don't we all in some ways want to so desperately make an impact in the lives of people and be in tandem with the Lord so close that when we leave this earth, we are truly missed? And so Steve is a living memorial today of that. He, he spoke loud and clear through his actions that others couldn't help but see a difference in his life. And before we get into a passage this morning, I just want to remind us of this because it's a strong understanding of something. The difference in Steve's life for those of you that are maybe here and you didn't know Steve was not because he was a great husband. The difference in Steve's life was not because he was a great father or a great pastor. The difference in Steve's life was because he had a great savior that saved his soul and made him a great father and made him a great husband and made him a great pastor. The difference is Jesus Christ in our life. When we get that, we get everything. But when we forget that or we don't know that, we miss out on opportunities. And so you take time and remember Remember what Steve has done in our lives, but also remember what Christ is doing through you these days. Can we just talk for a moment about memorials this morning? I want you to think for a moment, when was the last time you saw a memorial, a statue, a something that would resonate in your heart and mind of an event, a person, something that was worth saying, now there, there is someone throughout the course of history that made an impact in our lives. You don't have to go very far to go to McKinley Monument. And you see the monument set up for William McKinley, one of our presidents, a, a memorial. You go to Washington, D.C., you will see memorial after memorial after memorial uh, of tribute of individuals and people and events. Webster and it always comes back to Webster. Webster defines a memorial as a structure established to remind people of a person or an event. So would you meet me this morning in Joshua 4 as we think about Steve and as we think about living memorials in our own life? Joshua chapter 4. And as you're turning to Joshua 4 this morning, those of you that haven't been with us, we are walking through uh, some of Joshua as we're looking at some leadership principles in Joshua. But we're not looking at Joshua today. We're looking at the God of Joshua. We're looking at what God has accomplished and what God has done and God's faithfulness and God's mighty power. That's what we're looking at on this day. 
Joshua 4. Let me rewind for you a moment just in case you weren't here last week. Thankful for Nathan Kursak who was able to be here. Uh, the people of Israel, they're, they're rallying together. Uh, the River Jordan is at flood stage. There is no way they can get across to the promised land. There is no way they can get across with the Jordan being at, 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 at flood stage. And Joshua walks up to the people and he says, Consecrate yourself because tomorrow God will do great things amongst you. And they wake up that morning and the priests wake up and they get the Ark of the Covenant and they go out before the people. They are in front of the people. And when they get to the riverbank of the Jordan River and their feet touch that Jordan River, the, the water stops immediately. And it tells us that it heaped up miles away at a distance uh, to a town called Adam, the vicinity of Zarathan. Sounds like a movie. But it, it, it's, it's, it heaped up all that way. We always say God is always working upstream. He's working in ways that we don't see. He's working his plan out, his agenda in our life. God is working upstream. That miracle alone would cause anyone to put their hope in Jehovah God. And so when the priests hit that water, and the water immediately heaps up miles away, a distance away, they were able to cross all of the Israelites on dry ground. And they finally, after all of these years, came into this land that God told them that they would not only inherit but inhabit called the promised land. And in chapter 4, we see now that they are in the promised land, what will they do? Will they remember the Lord? Or will they forget the Lord? Will they do their own thing like many of us do? Or will they continue to keep their sights and focus on God? And so a question is asked throughout all of chapter 4. I believe it's asked two times. What do these stones mean? You say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, let's take a look at this chapter. Let's look at verses 1 to 9. Chapter 4, I, I'm reading today uh, from the NIV. It's a little bit easier to read this whole account uh, in the NIV. Usually we read, uh, read from the ESV. Chapter 4 of Joshua, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men who had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were, were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Incredible, incredible passage, incredible of what God wants to do. And the first thing that we learn here is that these stones or these memorials were a reminder to the people of all that God had accomplished. Are there things in your life that when you look at, you're reminded of God's 
power. You're reminded of God's presence and provision and protection in your life. Are there things in your life that when you see it, you automatically go back to a point in time when you weren't quite sure if God was going to come through or not, and you see it and you're reminded of his faithfulness? That's what these stones were all about. That when they would take these stones from the River Jordan, and, and, and please understand this, I don't believe that 12 of these individuals that were appointed by Joshua went into the River Jordan, grabbed this stone. I was going to bring a big stone in this, this morning, but I, just from the parking lot here, I, probably, I don't think I could do it. And, and so these guys, 12 of them, grabbed stones from the Jordan River, put them on their shoulder, and walked eight miles. I can't walk from the parking lot to here with a big stone on my shoulder, eight miles to the place where they were lodging. And I do not believe that when they had those stones and they came to that place, they just threw them in a pile. I believe they were stacked in such a way that caused people to ponder, to think, to remember, and to ask, what do these stones mean? My wife and I recently were in Washington, and uh, in November, the uh, uh, Bible Museum opened up in Washington. Great place to go. There's five floors. I'd recommend th uh, floor number three. The rest of it, okay. Uh, but floor three is great. And on floor three, you're walking through kind of this uh, Disney-type thing. It's, it's amazing. And I saw this, and I knew I would be preaching on Joshua 4, and I always imagined it would look like that. Minus the exit sign. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, why in the world did I have to take a picture with an exit sign? But I believe they stacked them so that when they, why, why, why is Joshua and the Lord telling the people to stack these stones? Because there will be a time in their life and our life when we want to quit. When our faith wavers. Anyone have a faith that wavers from time to time? You find yourself not in an oasis time, but a desert time in your life. Times when you're at a breaking point and you just want to quit and give up. Times when you're asking the Lord, Lord, are you going to come through? Are you really going to come through because I need you now more than ever before that they can go back to that point, come back to that memorial, come back to that place and be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Oh, that you would do that. I don't know what it is, and I don't know where it is for you, but is there a place that you can pinpoint in your life, much like the Israelites, that when you go back to it, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. And I'm reminded the same God that worked in my life in the past is the same God as I walk in obedience today, that he will take care of me. And he will be faithful, and I can trust in him. It's a visible landmark with a message that said, God did this. God did this. It continues to keep echoing. They would be able to recall the story of the faithfulness of God. Just like Steve, there is a story for all of us to tell in our lives. Listen, all of us in here, including myself, we will all leave a legacy. That, that's not the question. We will all leave a legacy in here. The bigger question, the greater question, the more important question is, will it be a positive one or a negative one? Will it be a story that you will tell and others will tell of God's great redemption and handiwork in your life, or will it be a story of regret and guilt and shame? 
we will all leave a legacy here. When you look at your kids and you look at your grandkids, how are we living in this day and age and are we showing them what Jesus Christ looks like? Are we a living memorial? Because we are. We are. And there are days I fail. Anyone? Three of you? Okay. Man, there are days I fail with my kids. There's days I fail with my wife. But when push comes to shove, like Steve and like many others that went before him, I want to make sure that at the end of the day, I am glorifying his name. I am doing my best to honor and walk in obedience to him. And I've got some eyes looking at me called my children and my wife and many others. And I want to make sure that I am following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we learn, look at verses 10 to 23. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched, the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. And that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests, carry the ark of the testimony, to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground when the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us, when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And we'll stop right there. Do you know what the word Gilgal means? It means that reproach or blame or uh, rebuke has been rolled away. 40 years of wandering, 40 years of complaining, 40 years of going astray and being involved for a while in idolatry. And it's as if the Lord says, when you come to Gilgal and you camp out here, the reproach, the blame, the rebuke has been rolled away and everything is new. It's a new life. It's a new day that they would be able to see in this new land and God would not hold them accountable for what they had done in the past. They were at Gilgal. Reproach had been rolled away away. These stones are a memorial would be a reminder to generations to come of God's mighty working power. So it wasn't just for the people that saw it that day, but it would be for people generation after generation after generation would, would, would say, what do these stones mean? And they could give the story of God's faithfulness and how God had worked. They would Listen and learn what God had done. 
Would you listen for a moment of just Psalm 100? A shout for the Lord, or shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gate with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And then it says this. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You and I as living memorials have an opportunity to be able to share our story with those who are younger and those who are yet not here. That we can share the story from generation to generation of what the Lord has done in our life. But if we keep silent, we become a culture that does right in their own eyes. It's the book of Judges all over again where they did what was right in their own eyes. And so these stones were a reflection also of the generations yet to come of God's mighty working power. Look for opportunities. How many of you have children here or grandchildren? Raise your hand. One of the greatest things you can do is to share the stories with them of God's faithfulness, of the memorials that you've seen God set up in your life that you can say to your son, your grandson, your, your daughter, your granddaughter, look what God has done. They're all around us. Stories of right here and right now. Tell the story of the great people who have weaved through your life, impacting you all the way to eternity. I have some memorials this morning that we'll, we'll put up. The first one is the statue of, tell me, Liberty. Uh, anyone coming into the harbor of New York City sees the Statue of Liberty. When immigrants would come over and they would see the Statue of Liberty, it was a symbol of freedom. It welled up within them hopes and aspirations that this would be a country where they would no longer be oppressed, but that they would be free. How many of you have been to the Statue of Liberty or seen it other than right now? Okay. Uh, if, you, if you see the Statue of Liberty from Staten Island, you're going to miss something. Even if you're on Ellis Island, you might miss the most important part of the Statue of Liberty, and that is her feet. We often don't look at her feet. We look at the, uh, the uh, what's she carrying? Thank you. Uh, torch and, uh, <laughs> hello, uh, torch. Uh, we look at her. We never look at her feet, but if you look at the bottom of her feet, there are shackles that have been taken off of her. That at one time she was shackled it's a, it's a picture of that, that we are free now. We're no longer under slavery. We're no longer under oppression. And it shows to everyone that comes to America, you're free. You're liberated. As great as that monument is, I think about how we have been freed from our sin. We were in shackles at one time. We were slaves to unrighteousness. We were slaves to sin, and because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, he broke those shackles away so we could be free and that we could honor and glorify him. You see, the second picture here is of Ronald Reagan. My wife and I were in Washington. We got to do a personal tour through the Capitol. It was incredible. And in one of the places, the rotunda, or if I don't know if I'm saying it right, it's the round area, uh, we, we were able to see a picture of Ronald Reagan. And we thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And I don't know if you can see it all that well, 
But when they first did this monument, Nancy Reagan looked at the monument of Ronald Reagan. She goes, that is not my husband. She goes, my husband, he smiled all the time. That statue had him not smiling at all. And the person who was doing the tour for us, she goes, if you look really close, right by his collar is a line. And they completely took the head off of Ronald Reagan and put on now one that has him smiling. A memorial. He is standing on some of the stone or the wall that went down in Berlin. When he said, Mr. Gorbachev, take down that wall. He is standing on some of that foundation. It's a memorial of someone who has made a difference and a change in our life. You know what the last one is? It's the Vietnam. It's the Vietnam Wall. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of individuals from America came into Vietnam and gave their lives for a cause that many people back here in the United States said, what are we doing? And when they returned, they did not get honor. They did not get any kind of recognition whatsoever. And yet now people today are beginning to realize these were faithful men who were called to lift up and defend our country. And so if you go down that wall, you will see name after name after name of people that we do not know, but they served a purpose. They're a living memorial. This is the stories. These are the stories that we are to share with our children and their children's children of the mighty hand of God. I want you to think for a moment this morning how far we have drifted from our country of exalting and amplifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Sitcom after sitcom after sitcom is just bashing Christianity, making fun of Jesus. There is a show that's out right now. I haven't seen it. I saw the trailer of it called Living Biblically. Don't let the title fool you. It is not biblical at all. And yet there is a mockery that people are mocking and scoffing the name of Jesus Christ, and I would like to think that Mission View is far better than that. I would like to think that Mission View will not stand aside and just be silent, that we will rise and we will be a living memorial of Christ and say, wait a second, I will be a voice for the Lord Jesus Christ. I will be a beacon of light for him. Where our culture is whittled away at the foundational core of In God We Trust. 1962, prayers taken out of schools. What do you think today our schools would be like if we still just had prayer in the schools in light of all that's gone on? In 1963, the Bible is not allowed to be read in public schools. In 1980, we can't even post up the Ten Commandments, because it's seen as unconstitutional. And now, today, we see the institution of marriage between a man and a woman being just turned over on its head in a culture of lawlessness and ungodly morals. God's warning to Israel was not to let the environment of the pagan society that surrounded them dictate their values. And the warning should be loud and clear for us today. I want you to see this picture. Two men, both died recently in their 90s, both influenced the world, both born in Christian homes, 
One saw only religion and led millions astray, Hugh Hefner. The other saw the Savior and led millions to faith. This is a powerful picture of what a surrendered life to God looks like and what a self-gratifying life looks like. One used his life to build lives and edify people, while the other used his life to build wealth and corrupt others. We have one life, one life. How are we going to use it? One was a modern-day prophet. The other was a modern-day pervert. How will we live our lives? And so I just want to challenge you in light of Steve's passing that there is, there is an opportunity that we have every single day to be living memorials, that we would be a beacon of light, that we would kind of rise up from the ashes and speak truth, that we'd find ourselves being the living memorials that in the midst of adversity we would stand strong. I want to encourage you today that in the midst of your life, in the midst of what's going on, that our face would be like flint and that we would find ourselves firmly holding to the principles of God's word and running the race of righteousness for his namesake. Because we just lost a good man and heaven gained him. And yet we all have an opportunity to be a living memorial. The greatest thing you can do if you have kids or grandkids is not to teach them how to make a quick buck. It's not to how to have the dream home. And it's not to how to have the dream boat. But it's to help them to see the joy that comes in following Jesus. The best thing that we can give to our kids and grandkids is to help them to know who Jesus Christ is. And what he has done in our lives. The best thing we can do for our kids is to teach them how to fish for men. And the best thing that we can do is to teach them to walk in obedience to God's word in a cesspool of this culture. I want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with 85% of your heart, 65% of your soul, and 33.5% of your strength. Is that what it says? No, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. You cannot impress something on your children if it's not on your heart as well. It's not so much what you teach. It's not so much what is taught but caught that our, our children see. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Why write them on the door frames of your, uh, uh, of, of your house? Because it is the last thing they see going out and it's the first thing they see coming in. That when people walk into your home, they know this is a home that honors and worships and glorifies Jesus and your children see it and everybody else sees it. That's the impact that we are to make. Last point. Verse 24 of Joshua 4 says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. 
These stones or memorials would be a visible proclamation of the living God to a lost world. It wasn't just to the people then. It wasn't just for generations to come. But it would also be a visible demonstration, a proclamation to the lost world that there is a true living God that can save your soul and take away your sin. Found through Jesus Christ. I read the story this week of a chaplain who had gone into a locker room in a major uh, league baseball locker room. And he was giving a devotion to the players just prior to a game. And he asked this question. How many of you players know where your grandfather is buried? And many hands went up. And then he said, how many of you know where your great-great-grandfather, how many of you know where your great-great-grandfather is buried? And a few hands went up. He said, how many of you know where your great-great-grandfather is buried? And no hands went up. And the chaplain said, you're only a few generations away from being completely forgotten. And there was silence in the locker room, and one of the players leaned over to another player and you could hear him say this, it doesn't matter to me whether my children or grandchildren know where I am buried as long as they know who Jesus Christ is. And if they know who Jesus Christ is, they will know where I am. We're a living memorial, friends. Every day in your workplace, every day in your school, every day where you work out or where you go or where you shop, you're a living memorial. And so as we think about the passing away of Steve and we're grieved by it, and yet we celebrate knowing that he is with the Lord, how about us? How will we live? We can't go back one day. And our lives are too filled with regret as it is. So maybe today is a good day for us to say, Lord, help me to be that living stone. Help me to be that memorial that will honor and glorify you. And I ask you this. For those of you that are here and you're examining the claims of Jesus Christ, the only way you're going to be a living memorial for the Lord God is by knowing his son, Jesus Christ, and placing your trust in him for the forgiveness of sin. It's available to you 24-7 to be able to come before him and say, Lord, would you come into my life? I want my life to count. I want my life to be a living memorial. I want people to know as they look at my life that God's hand is on my shoulder. His favor is on me. And so I give you my life and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin so that I could have eternal life. Have you done that today? If you have not, today is the day for you to be able to do that. To call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save your life so that every single person in here would say, I desire to be a living memorial for the cause and the glory of our great God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We so thank you for Steve, his example, his love, his humor, everything about him, Lord, we're grateful for. We pray for the family today especially today, probably a long day for them, but today, Lord, that they would be able to uh, proclaim your glory, worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would be able to uh, 
uh, highlight Steve's life, but not forget that you are more important than anything or anyone else. And so I ask that you'd be with Sarah today and Phil today and Josh today, and Leanne today, and Jim and Rosemary today and other family members today, Lord, that, that we would be thankful for them, embrace them, Lord, and be grateful for the life of Steve Marshall. And so this morning, Lord, for us, those of us that are left behind, may we find ourselves saying, Lord, each and every day, I want to make my life count for you. What would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? Whom would you have me to talk to today that I could be a living memorial in their life that they might know who Jesus Christ is. Thank you, Lord, for how good you are and how faithful you have been and you continue to be. In Jesus' name, amen.